and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. to tonight's broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. On this Wednesday night, today's date is February the 13th, 2019. Hope that my voice finds you in good health. We will tonight be taking a look at news concerning what is known as prison slavery, which was made legal after the so-called abolition of slavery in 1865 in the United States. We will go over some news from around the country and share, of course, our profile in freedom. That's a recent uh, person who has been exonerated of a crime and released from prison slavery and of course we will share a past abolitionist in profile we will have a special guest joining us tonight that will be uh dj johnny juice rosado will be joining us tonight again welcome to new abolitionist radio before uh we jump into some news and before our guest joins us let me open up the uh panels mics so that we can get a, a hello from them what's going on uh family yo what's good what's good this is Ty and this is Mother Khadija how's everyone we apologize we couldn't make it the last two weeks we just had a lot of things to do but we're so happy to be on today because we got special guest DJ Johnny Juice Rosado I'm so excited to have him on air Juice yeah, and we got uh, Brother Maxwell Melvin here, Max Melvin, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad to be here tonight, you know, for the discussion, you know, we're going to liven it up a little bit tonight, and we're urging those out there, please do not hesitate to call in, to give me support. Max, you, bro. Thank you hey, for bro. holding it down, man. Yes, bro. You know, I do what I, you know, do what I, we can do, you know, as a team, you know? Yeah, so, Scotty yeah. Reed, thank you, man. Love you. All right, fam. Yeah, Got love too. for y'all, too. Man, most people don't know your background, man. This is DJ Hall of Fame, the greatest, yeah. one of the yeah. best, man. You know what I mean? Oh, Shout yeah. out to Juice, Public Enemy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All the brothers who support the movement, yeah. man. Power Block, Connected, you know, BMO, yeah. Yeah. Kevin, yeah. you know what I mean? And these are all the people who support, man, who show love. To this radio station, man, because you know what? You know what I mean? We need the love and the support from the people, man. 
and continue supporting us, man. Continue listening because we have powerful messages coming to y'all. You know, as Max stated, um, if you do have a question or comment that you would like to interject in tonight's broadcast, you can give us a call at 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. I do have some updates that i like to get out there real quick before I forget them. If you are in the Philadelphia area, well, I actually, I got two, uh, no, one's from Baltimore, the other one's from Philly. First, from Philly, um, we have the Human Rights Coalition, who will Mm -hmm. do a 2019 kickoff for the campaign to abolish solitary. So what they're talking about is solitary confinement, which the international community, medical and psychological professionals have deemed as torture. And so they will be kicking that off uh, February the 15th, 2019 at 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can join them at Repair the World 4029 Market Street. Again, this is in Philadelphia. It's a movement defending the human rights of prisoners and fighting to abolish long-term solitary confinement and prison abuse. You know, I was just reading an article over the past couple of days about California being called out once again um, for solitary confinement and, and abusing it and what have you. The other update I have for you is a story we covered uh, concerning the state's district attorney in Baltimore, Marilyn Mosby. We ran a story where she had said that she wasn't interested in prosecuting any marijuana or, as I call it, cannabis um, possession. Well, I got some more information. Not on, she said she said in a recent interview with the Real News that she doesn't care how much the weight is that she's not going to prosecute. So you can have a pound of weed or a couple of pounds or whatnot. She says she's not going to prosecute. And that's a detail that I did I wasn't aware of when we first reported the story. Now, she said, now, if there's evidence that, of course, that you are illegally selling the weed, then, yes, you will be prosecuted because it's still um, a crime. But if you just get caught with a pound of weed, then, no, she's not going to prosecute long as there's no evidence that you were attempting to sell it. So I thought that was a pretty important detail to share. Did anybody else have some news they want to share before we, you know, jump into the formal part of the program? Anything coming up? No? Nobody has anything coming up? Max? But I, just got some, I just got some feedback off of what you said, bro. About um, you know what she's saying about you know charging. Like I told you last week. Well, you know the last week I was on, I told you about the funding and um the way things are working now is that that they don't want to spend money with 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 the with the distribution that they are allowing to go on in the United States because marijuana is it, not coming from here. You know what I'm saying? So when 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 it's so popular in so many countries, and also I mean, part of my soul, so many states where they are legalizing marijuana, and they're they're trying to play catch up. So they they she don't want to spend no money on trying to on you know charge people for marijuana because 
it's not it's not at the top of the food chain. And it's coming from me because I know the charts on the scale and what the weight and what different drugs can carry you. This is a low this is below grade average of what they need to actually be spending their time on prosecuting. So she's the one prosecute that because is you know, it's, it's it's a waste of time. If you catch a person in the car with an ounce of weed, you know what I'm saying, and it's not bagged up or it's not a scale in the car, you can't charge a person for for distribution. Right. Only you can charge a person for distribution is if it's bagged up or or you they get caught with a scale in the car. Paraphernalia. So if I have yeah. a mason jar full of marijuana, you know what I'm saying, they don't want to waste their time because. If you waste that time prosecute me, and all I gotta say is I have I have a marijuana use, you know what I mean? They gotta throw that out. They can't charge me with no charges because I I, I was not caught in the act of distributing any marijuana or anything like that. So when when you got people wasting their time trying to prosecute you on on charges like that, it's, it's hard to get a grand jury to indict you. Because the first thing they're supposed to do, and like I said, supposed to do, is, is, is give you the opportunity to be in a rehabilitation center, which is a drug program, to be able to really, really, really um, rehabilitate your situation. So most of the times, that nine times out of ten, before she coming up with this, a lot of states have incarcerated brothers and sisters who have not had marijuana bagged up or had a scale or or even found guilty of trying to distribute it. It's just that they found them guilty because it was in their possession. So you have brothers and sisters who are incarcerated now, you know what I mean, because they found a pound or half a pound or, or a quarter or a half an ounce in their car, and they have been charged with these crimes. You know, one of the things that she mentioned in her Real News interview, she said that this has nothing to do with public safety. People smoking marijuana or cannabis has nothing to do with public safety priorities and that it's a waste of money. It's a waste of the money, the limited budget that they have to keep prosecuting all these cases. Now, of course, the slave catchers in Philadelphia have come out and said, well, you know, we're going to keep prosecuting. Well, they can't prosecute. We're going to keep making arrests. And she said, well, you know, that's the chief's prerogative, but they can make all the arrests they want. We're not prosecuting. And she's exactly right. It it is not a priority. When you got all of these unsolved murders, all of these unsolved rapes, all of these unsolved, you know, robberies and what have you, there's a lot of violent crime that goes unsolved because they're focusing all of their resources on people who use drugs. And, and, and so I applaud, I applaud her, you know, um, Again, she said, I don't care what the weight is that they have. As long as there's no sign that they're illegally selling it, I'm not prosecuting. Right, right. So. Because they have a new law. If you have possession of marijuana, long as you don't have a concealed weapon in your car, it's not a valid crime. I can possess marijuana and not be a valid felon or a threat to the community, but... 
the laws that that been in place before she came along and speaking about them has been putting us as violent felons and things like that because as long as the U.S. is making money off of what we do, they don't care. But if they're not making money and, and, and what we do as black community, they have a problem with that. This all come back from, from, from William Lynch, making of a slave. You put the head where the ass is and the ass where the head is. You know what I'm saying? So you reverse everything. So when a man... Is left with no choice but to be out here and, and and have some marijuana or to be able to be in a stable place. You create a situation to where is that you trying to create revenue for yourself to be able to lock a black man up for years. And it, it's, it's sickening. So it's, you're right. You're right, Brother Reed. And one thing I wanted to add that I appreciate about Ms. Mosley is that the comments she made really to redirect the focus, they're not going after pot. They're going after resources that's dealing with violence. And she made a comment that really just really stuck out in this article. She said it's time for us as law enforcement to re-prioritize our time, attention, and money on crimes that actually have an impact on public safety. So instead of trying to lock up, I think it was over, I can't remember the exact statistics, but officers arrested over 300 people just on minor marijuana charges. Instead of just, you know, just messing with someone because they want to just meet their quota, whatever, just for whatever reason, focus on people that's trying to hurt the community. Focus on the safety of our community. And that's where the police officers have to redirect their attention. There's so much stuff going on. Focus on the terrorists, the people that's really doing the real crime, the people that, you know, committing all of these murders. The murder rate is not dropping. It's going up. But the way you deal with people, the way you understand, like, look, I really understand, you know, some people just stress out and just need to smoke to help them deal with their day because they have pains, whatever their issue is. And what I'm saying with this is focus on public safety. Focus on the, the areas that we need concern. Focus on making sure the youth don't go back to prison. And that's the key. They so focus on making money off each person that they lock up instead of really trying to figure out how can we help this person from doing the bad habits that they're doing. And, and that's across the board. Just refocus all the way across the board. And, you know, um, since the drug war started, and I'm not talking about, you know, during Nixon's time, I'm talking about after the end of alcohol prohibition. That's when federal government started focusing in on can on cannabis because they wanted to stay employed, locking up people and busting people and whatnot. And so you really saw a demonization of people who use cannabis. There's a famous, infamous, I should say, uh, film out uh, called uh, what is the name of that film? I, it, it was made in the 1930s. I forget the name of it, just like that. But anyway, it just portrayed cannabis users as psychotic and crazy and and rapists and things of that nature. There's nothing criminal about somebody using a plant that the creator made that has medicinal purposes to treat all kind of illnesses and what have you. So to me, you know, that's not a crime. It's only a crime 
because some legislatures passed a law and said it's illegal for you to do. Well, I don't respect that. And if I was able to find myself on a jury and it's dealing with any kind of drug possession, I'm voting not guilty, okay, because that's my right as a juror to vote not guilty, meaning, yeah, they may have done what you said they done. It may be illegal according to your law, but I don't think it should be against the law. Therefore, I, I cannot in good conscience vote guilty and send this person into slavery. This is what was happening during uh, you know uh during pre-1865 slavery whenever people were charged with aiding and abetting a victim of slavery they were charged under the fugitive slave act and so many juries said hey we uh, we don't agree with slavery so we don't agree with this law so we're voting not guilty we're not going to send somebody to prison or jail because they helped a human being escape slavery that's called jury nullification and I think we need the public really needs to be educated because a lot of us think we just have to go along with the state and prosecuting or, or putting people into slavery no if you don't agree with the law if you don't think people should be uh, uh, sent to prison slavery over cannabis possession, then vote not guilty. It's as simple as that. All right, so um, let me just touch on this article real quick. Uh, we're coming up on the half hour mark where uh, we'll have our guests join us. Uh, again, if anybody has any comments or questions, they can give us a call at 704-802-5056. This is a very important story. Um, this is something that needs to be pushed and publicized on the level that uh, uh, BDS is being pushed in terms of boycotts, divestments, and sanctions on Israel for its human uh rights violations against Palestinians and black Jews within the country. Um, we, we need a BDS movement against private prisons. And this story is, is related to that. Um, it says the American Federation of Teachers wants public pensions to dump their holdings in private prison companies. But some argue politics shouldn't guide investment decisions. And we know what type of people those those are. Some of the nation's largest public pensions top a list of two dozen funds invested in private prison operators. A new report from the American Federation of Teachers has found the California Public Employees and Retirement System, the New York State Teachers Retirement System, the Ohio Public Employees Retirement System lead the list of pensions holding shares in the two largest private prison companies, Core Civic and Geo Group. In total, AFT President Randy Weingarten says 24 funds across 20 states hold more than $75 million in stock in the two prison companies. These companies, AFT alleges profit by paying workers less and providing lower quality services than public institutions. The more incarceration you have, the more money these companies make, Weingartner says. Our high incarceration rate disproportionately affects people of color and our schools and our members see the negative effects of that disproportion every day. Therefore, AFT argues investing in private prisons poses not only moral risk, but also public relation and political risk that make their viability as a long-term investment questionable. AFT points to the hundreds of lawsuits filed against private prison operators over the years, including more than 140 alone against 
uh, Correct Care Solutions. Another company, Horizon uh, Health, has paid out millions of dollars in settlements, including a record $8.3 million settlement in 2014 for a detainee who died after not receiving a required intake assessment. Now, it's a pretty long article. I have a link to it in our show notes for anybody that wants to, um, you know, pull that up and share it with other people. But, you know, I, I, I agree with them. Now, I had gotten a Google alert. I have a Google alert that alerts me whenever articles come out with certain keywords that I have chosen. And George Zoli is one of those keywords. That's a name. Um, that I want to be alerted of whenever an article comes out. George Zoli is the CEO of the GEO Group, which is the second largest prison slaver in the world. And and he just purchased $50,000 of his own stock, I mean, in his own company. So he's doubling down on his investments. Now, why is he doing that? You may have heard that the uh, immigration detention facilities, which are primarily run by um, these private prison companies, they are over capacity. They are about 10,000, 10,000 people over capacity. But that's also the case, like I said to people on Twitter, that's also the case with most American prisons and jails are over capacity. So they just getting a taste of what the real American dream is. And so welcome to America. You're finding yourself in 21st century slavery and human trafficking. Um, did anybody have any but, thoughts on this? But yeah, just but not only have uh, they, they just purchased that, they purchased the American education uh, uh, thing that owns and operates all the transition centers throughout the country. And you know that that was incorporated into the First Step Act, the new reentry program. So they just bought out. They had bought out another company. The Geo Group just bought that company that has all the transitioning centers. So they're trying to corner the market, right? Exactly. They cornered the market by buying that right now. So that First Step Act bill is going to give them permission to go ahead on and get it just like they have every other, you know, all the private prisons, uh, you know, like they have the biggest company in the world. And they're just taking over it's, everything. Oh, okay. Give me give me just a moment. Well, uh first, let's give him a proper introduction. Uh Khadija, yeah. would you like or Max, would you like to introduce him? No, I was good sister Khadija. Mother Khadija. This is a brother from another mother, someone that is my uh, mentor who has guided me into educating me to know how to be a business owner. And just to be smart in the industry and, and, and don't look stuff up if you don't know things. But this brother is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's a producer, composer, DJ. Not, you know, I'm not going to read your resume because, you know, I just want people to know i got mad respect for you because you really care about people. And guess what? He's a Navy SEAL. Yes, veteran. So we got to give respect to that, too. So with no further ado, Brother Juice, please take the floor. Can you guys hear me? Yes, yes, yes. I can hear you. Okay, how are you guys doing? Um, uh, thank you for the intro. You got to cut that about two thirds short. <laughs> yeah. Well, well um, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. We're glad to have you. 
Well, I'm glad to be here. I, I've been listening to you, brothers. By the way, that movie you were talking about was called Reefer Madness. Reefer Madness. Um, that's it. Thank you. I was trying to I was trying to tell you the thing, but, it, but for some reason I I, I I couldn't get across. So yeah, it was it was in 1936 uh, that movie came out, and I ironically that movie came out around the same time as the Cannabis Taxation Act, which happened in the same year, I believe. I don't know if it was the same year, or maybe the year after that. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember, but I can't. Uh, I believe the the uh, Cannabis Taxation Act was also uh, occurred at the same time, but there was but there was um, <laughs> marijuana was actually outlawed in 1970. So, um, like in 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 any respect, and meaning uh, pharmaceutical use and for obviously. Um, uh, recreational use as well, but uh, I was listening to what you were saying about the marijuana, and uh, it's funny how they're locking up all the all the people of color that were selling marijuana. Now they now they're making a big business out of selling it. <laughs> so I was just in California, and they have and they have an app where you could order weed on a, in an app, and somebody would deliver it to you. And and that's messed up because you still got people in the state that's locked up for that. That's correct. Now, marijuana is still illegal uh, federally. Right, right. Um, because of the Controlled Substance Act. That was in 1970. So, um, technically, you can't bring the weed across state lines, even if the state next to it is, has legal uh, has legal medicinal or, um, not medicinal, but legal uh, recreational marijuana use. Either way, I don't smoke. So, But, but uh, I understand the implications. I mean, you lock up all your competition. Pretty much is what what they did. Mm-hmm. They locked up pretty much all the competition. Every, dr- every every dude that was selling weed or using weed, and now they have the they have the whole industry on lock. They're like the Monsanto of uh, of of drugs. So I find it interesting mm-hmm. that that they do that. They 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 put away their competition, and now now they're going to go out there and sell these uh, sell the, the things that they've just locked the, uh, cats up for a long ass time for for, for non-violent crimes. Right, and, and what we were referencing was uh, Marilyn Mosby, the uh, district attorney out there in Baltimore and last week, you know, she had said, I'm not going to prosecute anybody for possession anymore. Ooh. I don't care how much you have. But the police, who I also call slave catchers, are saying, well, we're still going to arrest them. So... But but you know the main thing like you said, you know it's it's a market and it's a business. So if if you have people who are trying to distribute it, they want to they want to take their clientele because it's just like a pharmaceutical. If you're in a pharmaceutical business, you're trying to knock out your competition. You know what I'm saying? So no matter what, no matter what a person do or how hard they try. It's always somebody going to try to knock you out your competition. And Juice know the best because he one of the greatest DJs in the world. You know what I'm saying? But he always has somebody trying to come up for his crown. And that's just the same way the government works. When you, when you have competition or when you try to have these markets on brand themselves and try to be legit, they always find some type of way they make it hard for people, man. And that's just that's the way the world works, man. And I had to learn that the hard way, man. I figured it out. Well, you know, keep in mind, the government is a business, just like anything else. And, fact. and that's a fact. 
<laughs> so they, they have to make, they have to make their money. You know, uh, they they have interests. You know, they'll they'll sit there and talk about how the Middle Eastern countries are oppressive to women, and and you know, in some respects they're correct, but they're not specific. And then they'll go after countries like Iran or Iraq. Meanwhile, ignoring Saudi Arabia, which has the largest amount of of human rights violations for women in Muslim countries, yet that's our biggest ally. Over there. Don't seem to have a problem right. with that. Um, and they say that Muslim countries are horrible towards women. Now, Turkey, Turkey had multiple women heads of state. We've had no presidents of the United States have a woman here. So where's the oppression in that Muslim country? Or Indonesia, who doesn't seem to have any problem with, with, with subjugating women. You know, they always seem to point out the one or two countries they want to, you know, want to have a problem with. There's democratic countries that have problems as well. So the U.S., just like most, just like, you know, most politicians, they pick and choose, and they cherry pick their targets, and then they then they use that to blanket statement everything, and they use that as validation to go in and, and create coups and and you know uh, install the governments that are more you know favorable to their to, to their interests. That it, that's happened since the beginning of time, even before there was an America, and it's not going to change anytime soon. And and you know when you when you're faced with a two party system, and both parties are you know, two wings of the same bird, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. Well, one of the things that we like to point out and have been pointing out for uh, quite some time, not that we've been the only ones pointing it out, but slavery was never abolished in the United States. Anybody with, uh, I feel like, with an eighth grade reading comprehension uh, level should be able to read the 13th Amendment and ascertain that you can't claim you abolished something, but then saying that in the same amendment that, except as punishment for crime. And what those crimes are, we're going to make them up, okay? Whatever we say is a crime and we pass it into law, then it's a crime and we can put you back into slavery. That's what the 13th Amendment does. And then, you know, often when we talk about slavery passed, We'll hear people say, well, the majority of the people didn't own any, didn't uh, victimize anybody and didn't hold people in slavery. And that may be true. That, that may be true. Well, it is true. The vast majority of white people did not own any, any victims of slavery in this country. It was mostly the wealthy, land-owning people. But today, but today. What happened to our four and our mule? Yeah, well, that's an issue that's being brought up now through reparations. But today, hey, though, to the in the mule? but today, we ain't we ain't presented. You know what I'm saying? You know? Yeah. Whatever, whatever his name, Christopher Columbus Day, and all the other the St. Patrick's Day, they ain't did nothing for this country. Stole. Well, my point, though, in bringing this up, though, is our last article about, you know, the American, um, what is the name of the group again? I want to give out the correct name. The American Federation of Teachers calling out these public pensions uh, for these government jobs, public employees. You know, they are slave owners. If you are invested in a private prison company, then you are profiting from modern day slavery and human trafficking. And I can't say say that enough. 
And there's a lot of people who, through their 401ks, and it's just not public employees and what have you, but through their 401ks, are invested in private prison companies, which means you invested in slavery. So you a slaver. And, you know, this is something that we need to bring an end to. Panel. Keep in mind, you know, investing in private prisons, it's a conflict of interest. You know, they make contracts with the government, and they're required to keep these things full. So um, you, have, you have a huge conflict of interest that's never brought up. The police are pretty much uh, revenue generators for the state. And we used to do this. I was an electrical engineer, right? And we used to, we used to write programs. And they would give us incentives if we found bugs in the program. Well, here's the problem. We write the programs. We could always write bugs in the program and say, hey, look what I found, a bug. Before you know it, a whole bunch of people are just falsely writing bugs in the program so they can get the money incentives for finding these quote-unquote bugs that we wrote ourselves anyway. So that's a conflict of interest. Unless some other entity would get an incentive for finding bugs that were written by us, which that's not the way it works. So you have police that are sitting here that work for the state or work for the or work for the local town governments and they get incentivized to arrest people because the government gets incentivized because they make money once the police do what they do. So they they don't manufacture, but they pretty much manufacture charges or whatever they need to do or frame things in order for them to make money. And that that's that's a huge conflict of interest. You know, how, how do you know that they're arresting you because you're really doing something that because the town needs money? You know, Nassau County and Long Island and Suffolk County, Suffolk County has the highest uh, the highest salary for police officers, uh, I believe, in the country or did in the last few years. Suffolk County is not a den of of, of activity like Chicago or like South Central L.A. But these guys are getting six figure salaries six-figure salaries where most of Suffolk County is just land and, and there's a whole bunch of, you know, wineries and, and, and vineyards and stuff. But And then there's the Hamptons where the rich people live. So why are they making so much money? It happens that the Nassau and Suffolk County executives have fleeced their constituency for so much money so the town needs to make up that money because it's getting sucked dry by these dudes that are putting in their pockets. So there's a lot of police activity. Police activity goes up that they make more money to compensate for the money that these executives are stealing from the people. So it's like a it's like a, a, a little mini racketeering ring. So I had a run-in with the police, not personally, but but you know, or, uh, you know, kind of peripherally. And I asked the police because they came. They said, "Well, we can't do anything until something happens." So I said, "Why don't you guys just act like the fire department?" And they said, what do you mean? I said, why don't we just keep you locked in a building until we need you and we call you? Since you don't physically stop crime, when do police actually stop a crime? They don't. They show up when a crime is committed, and then they investigate it afterwards. So they don't physically stop anything. So why do we have you walking around harassing people? Stay in a building, and when we after a crime is committed, we'll just call you to tell you to come and figure out what happened. Because you don't, you're not proactive enough to do anything, and when you are proactive, you just, you just, you basically, um, you basically harass people. So that was my vote. My vote was to have police act in the same vein as fire department, 
Stay in the building. When we need you, we'll call you and you come in and just investigate after the fact. Not sit here walking around and, and, and intimidate through patrol. Because I did that in the military, and that's exactly what that's supposed to look like, an intimidation fact. Well, I wanted, I wanted to mention the, uh, an article that um, Brother Reed brought up earlier about solitary confinement. You have to excuse my voice, everyone, because I'm kind of under the weather. But solitary confinement is a huge problem with pretty much internationally, but within the United States. And people don't know what all goes on within solitary confinement. And many people, there's many names for solitary confinement. They call it the whole... Um, Supermax prisons, um, just different special needs unit, permanent lockdown. It's so much stuff that that goes within solitary confinement. There was more than 80,000 men, women, children, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics in the United States, that's within solitary confinement. And that's a very, very alarming because some of these people spend months, years, and even 25 years within a segregated prison setting, according to this article. And isolating people have a long-term effect, and they don't think about the long-term effect as far as psychological. Um, and it has a long-term solitary confinement. Um, this article said it produces debilitating symptoms such as visual and auditory hallucinations, hypersensitivity to noise and touch, insomnia and paranoia, <laughs> uncontrollable feelings of rage and fear, distortions of time and perception, Increased risk of suicide, post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's just the name of a few that's been reported. And I think it was an article where there was a mentally ill inmate who, you know, he was on suicide watch and still hung himself. How does these things happen? Where are the staff? They they get paid enough money for each inmate prisoner, so why can they not make sure that these people are protected? So people's rights are violated. And I just wanted your thoughts pretty much, Brother Juice, on the long-term solitary confinement. What are your thoughts on that? Long-term solitary confinement? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Um, I've never uh, had the quote-unquote pleasure of being locked up in jail for any significant amount of time. Um, So uh, I can only speak from a limited perspective. But... um, we went through a training in the military where they kind of mimicked us being prisoners of war. And they put us in what would be considered solitary confinement. They beat us, stripped us naked. They treated us like animals. And if, if it's anything like that, you know, aside from the fact that it's inhumane, they don't have to even be beaten. Just the fact that you're sensory, uh, you know, you're, you're deprived, you know, the sensory deprivation factor in there where there's no contact with human people. If you don't have contact with someone for a long period of time, that affects you. And if the whole purpose of of incarceration is to rehabilitate, then that's counterproductive. You know, you're not rehabilitating. It, it, it produce, you know what I mean? This coming from me and this Tyson, I've been I've been through it. Right. You know, I haven't been treated as an animal. I've been through solitary confinement to where is that it's so harsh because they take your radio, they take your TV, you know what I'm saying? They take everything, they give you your, they give you your, your hygiene items and the things like far as clothing, 
but they take everything from you until you earn your way back its levels. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and it's coming from New Jersey. <clears throat> if I start off at, say they put me in asset, I have to work my way up to a level T, level two to be able to get my radio back or my my phone back. And see now in the feds. It's, it's, they came out with a law They're not supposed to give you over 90 days But they found a way To be able to give you excessive time By saying That you are under investigation This is what they're using To keep you back there You know what I'm saying If you if you don't get me out Within or If you, if you don't complete your, 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 your investigation Within 30 days Or 90 days they consider I can spend 90 days in a federal prison, right? And then they could come up with an excuse saying that I'm still under investigation. I could wind up doing 120 days back there or more until they either either decide to ship me out of that prison to another prison or let me back on 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 a compound. Came from the feds. I only been home almost going on four months. You know what I'm saying? So I done been through this. I was in college on confinement. You know what I'm saying? I have a a question for you. At any point, you know, whether in solitary confinement or not, are there any efforts made to quote unquote rehabilitate you? And when I mean rehabilitate you, I don't mean mean punish. It's no juice. It's no rehabilitation inside the prison system at all. So then the whole point of... Oh, so, like, listen, right. I done did over 17 years in prison. They come up with these programs for the funding so they can create revenue, but they're not, teach, they're not really trying to help us come out here in society do better. It's no, only... And that's, the, and, and that's the problem, because then you have you have a high level of recurrence where you, if most people come out, they go right back because there's no mechanism right. meant, to, meant to keep them out. Nothing's happening while you're incarcerated in order to keep you from coming back. It's basically just punishment. Right. punishment. Oh, on the subject of... Scenario, right? On the subject... Uh-huh. Hey, hey, hold on. I got a scenario. And this for Juice. And I'm going to break this down to you, Juice, in, in your terms. This is how they teach us, right? They try to brainwash us into thinking the way they want us to do. Now, if I come to you and I say, yo, Juice, you got to do your music this way or you got to DJ this way. And you like, yo, that's not my way of doing things. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to convince you that's the best way. But you know the best way. How can I convince you how to do something that you already know how to do and convince you that's the best way to do it when you already know you've got the juice, when you got the sauce, you got the metaphor to what it is that make that magic that you make. I can't convince you to make magic that you make. I cannot. And I can't knock you off that square. But what it is, what they do now in the federal system is they try to give you this platform that you should follow. 
but they don't follow it. I had counselors trying to teach me a way how to live, and they came in there with attitudes. Listen, listen. They can't teach you. Just like nobody can teach me to do what I do. But they can limit your ability to make money doing it. Case in point. I DJ a certain way. If I wanted to work for a radio station, they'll be like, You have to either play the records we want you to play or else you're not gonna be DJing on our radio station. Right. So so that happens whether you're in jail or not. That's that that's part of conforming to a system and everything's a system in the United States. Why do you think they play the right. same five records all the time on the radio? You think there's right. only five artists? There's millions of artists. But the programmers say you're gonna play this or you're not gonna DJ. You can DJ on another station, you go to another station, they're gonna say the same thing because they're being controlled by the commercial advertisers because that's how they make money. They sell right. airtime to advertisers and the advertisers say we want whatever draws this crowd from 13 years old to 26 because that's what our products are aimed at so they say okay well fine we want to sell cheeseburgers because we know kids love happy meals so what new kids that like happy meal want to hear they want to hear this idiot mumble rapper okay fine then you better start playing mumble rap between the hours of this and this so that we can get those listeners so they can hit this commercial so they can go buy our happy meals that's how the system works and yes that means that if you want to make money as a DJ you got to do that or you can try hey, going outside right, the system right. and, and, not, and make no money. So hey, hey, it's, 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 it's your call. You either hey, say, I go where the money is, or you go outside and try to hustle your own way. And that happens no matter what you're doing, whether you're selling drugs, whether you're trying to get a job, whether you're, whether you're trying to break into the music industry, whether you're trying to be a doctor. You know, you got to go where the money is, you know, and that's why people, right, that's right, why people migrate. Right. You know? Hey, but Juice, can I ask you a question? How... How did this generation get out of the fundamentals to being able to pay attention to the brothers and sisters who got us here, though? That's my whole thing. Like, I grew up in the 80s. I listened to y'all. I paid attention. I studied. And I had to learn. And this is why my wife always asks me, babe, you know music. I said, no, I, this is what was embedded in me. These these children and these, these this, J, this age of generation, they don't have no guidance. So I'm going to bring they, it back to they, they have, when it was me, I, I had no guidance. They, like, they have guidance. I have a brother, they, right? Listen, I don't want to cut you off, but let me tell you something. They I have guidance. They just don't have perspective. In other words, I could walk out to the street right now and tell a kid, yo, man, you know what? You may want to stop doing this and want to try to concentrate on this. And they won't listen to me because due to technolo technological advances and the fact that they can get information immediately on their cell phone, as I call it, dumb mother effers with smartphones, right? You got right. the world at your fingertips, right? You can t type right. in anything and find anything out, but you still don't do it. Now, here's the reason why. Instead of using that technology to get ahead, they're using it to do less work to get the same amount of things done. In other words, they, they work less but still get the same amount of output using that technology. Instead of saying, I can work harder and exponentially increase my productivity, they don't do that. What they say is, wow, so now I can get the same amount of productivity but work less. So now I can do less right. but, still do this, but still get the same amount of stuff I've been doing before. So they're content being at this level. And that's because 
just like since the beginning of time, people have been indoctrinated. School, the public school system, is an indoctrination system. It doesn't teach you critical thinking. What it teaches you is how to memorize things and follow directions. They want, and I say they, the system requires obedient, compliant workers. They don't need thinkers. They don't need people to think outside the box because those people will say, hey, this is wrong. I mean, we already know that fossil fuels are going to be gone pretty soon. We have all these alternative types of electricity, you know, electric cars, Tesla is like phenomenal with, with, with their brainstorming, yet we still are using gas, and gas keeps going up, and we're fighting wars over gas when we already know that that's a finite supply, and there's all types of other alternatives, but we don't want to look at that. Why? Because there's lobbyists, and the lobbyists have locked down Washington saying, no, we got to keep... You got to keep this system in place. Trump is telling everybody, we're going to make more jobs for coal workers. Coal? Who the hell uses coal anymore? We got all this phenomenal new technology, and you're still talking about the coal workers? Why don't you instead tell the coal farmers, why don't we re-educate you in new forms of technology, and that way you'll be functioning, and you'll be more relevant in today's society and move forward. But no, you know, they want to keep things the way it is because it keeps those people in power, it keeps their pockets fat. The thing is, you have to step outside of that. But in order to do that, somebody has to sacrifice their comfortability. Right. So who's going to be the first person to sacrifice that? You want to ask, if you want to talk about people of color with money, like an Oprah or like a Shaq, they'll do so much. But if they're going to say, let me just, let me really shake things up so much that I may jeopardize these millions I have for my future generations. They'll do it to a degree, but they're not gonna be like, yeah, I'm not blowing up my whole scenario. But y'all, I'll you know, I'll I'll build some housing for y'all. I'll I'll make up some scholarships, but I'm not gonna start a revolution. Name one country that has actually freed themselves from oppression via legislation. No. no, they didn't free themselves via legislation. They freed themselves via violence and war. But you know some the only, of some of the, the old heads of color that did it was Haiti. And well, Haiti didn't do it by legislating. They didn't go into some kind of Congress congressional you know hearing and say, "Listen, these are the rights we want," and freed themselves. They had a damn war. Yeah, but they still under bondage right now by their own government. I don't know if you're well, aware that, of that, the. No, no, I'm very aware of it. I'm just saying yeah. that they freed themselves from external pressures. Yeah, they have their internal problems, but at least they're not oppressed by another country, even though they still owe France money. But what I'm saying uh, is... Cuba, um, Cuba, Cuba went to war for their freedom. Cuba yeah. also, Jesus. Castro, when Castro went to war with them, no, he Castro, fought them in the mountains. He allowed, he, he told them that you're not going to come over here and oppress this country. Well, first of all, you're, you're missing the point. Cuba was owned by Spain. In order to get Spain to not oppress them, they beat them back via violent revolution. Afterwards, they had revolutions on their own island to determine how their island would govern itself. And that's where Che Guevara and, and, and Castro and all that. I'm talking about from external oppression. Now, Cuba is not, is, is not being oppressed by any external country. They what what do you call the blockade, uh, Johnny? What do you call the blockade? The blockade is not so. Is, that's that's something external to them. That's but that's not imposed. That's not. In other words, somebody doesn't run Cuba's government. They run their government. 
Now, other countries could say, we're not going to give anything to you. But guess what? We blockade people, but Cuba could still receive goods from other countries. Right, right, right. Well, I'm I'm just pointing out they're still under uh, external oppression. No, uh, no, they're they're under external pressure and under external uh, issues because of their their uh, their their trade agreements and, and who they align themselves with, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about colonial pressure. Okay. Well, I do well, want to bring the conversation away. back to prison slavery right. here in the United States because we veer way off topic and we're right. supposed to be talking about how do we end slavery today? Now, on the subject of violence, you know, I have uh, been mentored by some form... That's the answer. You just named the answer. Violence. Well, violence isn't violence isn't always the answer. Okay. It is the answer, and I just—that's why I just—I just asked you, name one country that has that has eliminated their oppression without violence, and there is none. Okay. When Haiti wanted to they violently removed them. When America wanted the British out, we violently removed them. When when Vietnam wanted the French and the Americans out, they violently removed them. Right now, if you can give me an example where the slaves, and I say the slaves meaning us, the people that are being oppressed, give me one example where they have legislated their freedom, then I can say okay. But that's never happened. Even when slavery ended, technically, when slavery ended, you know, during the, the Civil War era, when, when, when the Emancipation Proclamation happened, it happened due to a war. So name one time with slavery, anything has happened without any kind of violence. Okay, so, so let, me, let me interject this. So I've been mentored by several uh, former Panthers, some of them political prisoners, some of them still living in, in exile. And this is what they tell me. They say they have a term called pending revolution because the masses of the people, like all the things you mentioned about schools of indoctrination and whatnot, people in the United States is not prepared nor physically, emotionally, or mentally to pick up some rifles and go to war and start another civil war in this country to end slavery. So like the old heads told me, Pending revolution, we have to do everything we can to bring whatever relief we can to our brothers and sisters that's in prison slavery today. Listen, I live in a rural area. Um, I may never see a cop for months at a time. I can't even tell you the last time I saw a police car ride down the rural road that I live in. If I wanted to, I could shut myself off to the rest of the world and never worry about uh, uh, something that's not going to happen to me. You know, anything, anything can happen, but the chances of it happening to me, if I just stick to my community in this little country area that I live in, then I won't, I won't be harassed by police. I won't end up in prison. And you know, unless of course I go kill somebody or something like that. But in terms of anything else, I don't worry. I don't worry about those things, but I'm not that type of person. I'm the type of person that has empathy for other people and I cannot look out in this world and see all of these people being suffering and not do what we can. But I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm I'm, I'm ready for civil war too. But I know that the masses of the people ain't ready for that. So that is why I applaud, I applaud people who do get some legislation passed 
if it's even if it only releases one person or it stops one person from going into prison slavery i'm not i'm not going to speak against that and i'm not saying that you are but pending revolution we have to do everything possible to bring relief to those who are suffering in prison slavery that's just my opinion you didn't say that you just you didn't you didn't say what can we do to bring relief you said what can we do to end and those are two different things if somebody's locked up in a cage what can we do to give them relief give them some water give them some food what can we do to end it those are not the same things and those don't have the same those don't those don't require the same amount of responsibility to to carry out what you just asked well it is our goal legislatively it is our goal to repeal the 13th amendment which makes slavery legal in this country and replace it with an amendment that leaves out the exception clause and just says involuntary servitude and slavery shall be abolished, period. No exception whatsoever. So So that is something we're working towards. Right. Okay, and that's fine, and I agree with that. But here's the thing. So you're saying that people that get incarcerated shouldn't be incarcerated? Incarcerated is, 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 is slavery? All incarceration is slavery. I'm, I'm sorry, so can someone, you repeat that? So when someone gets incarcerated, regardless of what their, what their, um, what their actual uh, crime is, that's slavery. No, I, I don't take that view. I don't take that view. Listen. So that means that, that, means that the whole uh, criminal justice system has to start over from scratch because you can't start taking it's like Jenga you can't just take one little piece out because the whole thing's going to collapse so you have to just redo it you know sometimes things just have to start all over unfortunately well I would and, love again to have civil war number two uh, well I'm not trying uh, to have a civil war abolish I, I, I abhor violence I don't like violence I was already in a war and I almost died and, and so was I and, I'm a Gulf War right. veteran Okay, I spent six years in the in the U.S. Army, and so that's why I say, with my background in the military, I know the American people, and especially if we just talking about black folks, y'all ain't prepared for no war. You never prepared to do overthrow, do what needs to be done. You know what we say needs to be done. You not prepared to wage any kind of war on the U.S. government, the state government, the U.S. military. You know what is going to happen. It's going to happen when white people are being affected so much that they can't help it. In other words, nobody gave a crap about a lot of things. All of a sudden, white people started losing their money on Wall Street. Then all of a sudden, oh, wait, things got to change. Oh, they got to change now? Why? Because now you're going broke? We've been broke this whole time. So when, when the elite people start losing what they have, that's when things will change. Because now, all of a sudden, there's an urgency. There's no urgency right now. Congress has no urgency. They don't have an urgency to do anything because they're not affected by the laws because they have a different set of laws pretty much. You know, they don't have they're not they don't have to have they're not subject to the Affordable Care Act and so they don't care about having to change it or not. What difference does it make? They don't use they don't use that health care insurance. They don't they don't have to worry about that. They don't they, they have they have a golden parachute, so they don't have to worry about social security. So why would they have to fix any system that they're not subject to? Hey, we do need to take our uh, station identification break. Uh, Sister Khadija, can you hear me? I just kept in on for some reason. We blanked out, but I'm back. Okay, you want to take us to break? Yes, you're tuning in to 
Black Talk Radio, the new abolitionist weekly radio through Prison Street Talk Ministries. We have special guest DJ Johnny Juice Rosado, and we're discussing pretty much how we can end and abolish the 13th Amendment on legalized slavery. And we'll be right back to continue the conversation. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we're back. What else, sir? Well, thanks for welcome back. Weird. Mm-hmm. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. I, can, I can hear you. This is nice. Well, I can hear you. We're discussing modernized slavery with the 13th Amendment, where the 13th Amendment protects everyone else except for convicts because they are working for a little bit of change. And um, it doesn't even go, it goes against the labor laws as well because they're definitely below minimum, way, way, way below minimum. Because my husband, when he was locked up, he was making 22 cents an hour feeding. How many people did you feed? 1,600 people making 22 cents an hour. But see, that's because slavery's legal. See, if slavery wasn't legal, they wouldn't be able to do that. And, you know, going back to something. To have some hidden agenda in the Constitution to where they can get away with legalizing slavery, which is why so many people. Hey, Brother Reed, but you know what's found, though? They found a way, right? When you go on a federal um, penitentiary, not everybody gets a job. Right. Because they don't have enough jobs to give out. So what they do is, when you go in there, you automatically have to have a job. It's mandatory. You cannot be on a unit and not have a job. So what they do is, they start creating contracts for people who don't want to work. They will make you have a job. They will make. They will give you a job but don't pay you. And only you got to do about four hours. You have to report, and then you can go back to your unit after four hours. So say if I'm in the kitchen, right? I have a permanent job where I'm making money, but they set people up. You have people that don't, that's in the penitentiary that's good, that, you know, get money from their family. They don't want a job at all. They're making these people go to work to work for them, having them clean up, clean tables. So if we go in the kitchen at 4 in the morning, right, you have people setting up, making sure everything clean, and then after breakfast, they let them go. But they're not getting paid, though. But they enforcing a rule that you have to have a job. Right. I mean, whether you got a job or not, or you getting paid or not, it's still slavery. If you are not making the federal minimum wage. What I'm saying is they forcing people to work and not paying them. That's the point. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I hear that. The point is, and I'm telling you, that even if you don't want to work in federal prison, they're going to make you have a job whether they pay you or not. And this is what I'm trying to say. You write about the slavery. This is this is stuff they enforce on you. And if if you do not go to work, 
they will lock your ass up. That's what I'm trying to tell you, Brother Reed. Right, right. Throw you in solitary confinement, whatever they yeah. do, whatever yeah. they have to do. If I don't want to work and my family taking care of me, and they, they going to make me have a job, or I'm going to get a write-up and I'm going to the hole. Right. It's slavery. That's what we're trying to get everybody to understand, you know, and I know you know, but, you know, look, Michelle Alexander did a good thing in writing her book, but the thing that I hate most is she coined this phrase, mass incarceration. Look, the the vast majority of Americans, and if we want to even break it down to black Americans, the vast majority of us ain't locked up. There's only about two point what five million people in jail or prison at any time. That's not the vast majority of people. Okay? But so mass incarceration don't even fit. But what I feel like that term mass incarceration does is mass what's really going on. It's not it's not mass incarceration we need to solve. It's slavery that we need to end. Contracting them out to other slaveholders, and and, and they use when you know the Thirteenth Amendment actually upholds punishment through work. So they use work as punishment, as they did back in slave days, and they were able to legalize that and implement it to where they could actually legally get away with that. They, they got these people working in your own, brother Reed. Yes. If y'all they could got, speak up listen, a little listen, bit. I was in the federal prison. They have this thing called Unicor. And they have inmates working in Unicor making pennies. Do you, you know, know who owns Unicor? Plate. Listen, these are the, the prisoners who make license plates, who make clothing for the, for the, for the Army, who make clothing and, and hangers. For 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 whatever the whatever they need, you have prisoners who make sweatsuits and all these type of things. T-shirts for the army, sweatpants for the army, and you know how much they're getting paid. Slave wages. That's what they're getting paid. The person on the totem pole might bring in out of a month. Fifty-some dollars if he's lucky. The highest person that who has benefits and things like that because he's been there long. What they call it is longevity. If I got twenty years and I've been there for a couple of years, they know I got longevity because I got so so many amount of years. So they give me longevity because. Their thing is to work me like a plantation because I have longevity. I ain't going nowhere no time soon. So, yes, you're right. It's slavery and it's modern-day slavery because, all right, why can't you pay me the same minimum wage that people on the street making? You know why? Because they're taking the funding that the government giving for inmates and providing that, that leftover funding. Listen, man, I had a situation in prison, man, where my boss came to us and sat us down and said, listen, 
I don't know how I'm going to pay y'all, but we got a situation going on because they in an undivided situation whether they want to release officers or take our funding to pay them officers. So they told the government, listen, we're going to shorten the funding up that you give the inmates to be able to keep our officers, to keep them on the payroll because they didn't want to lose officers. And that's that. And now, listen, this is not a joke. This is not a game. This is not no no hearsay. This is coming from facts. This is facts. I witnessed this. I only been home going on four months. Witness, you know what I'm saying? He know he know my wife struggled that when when I was gone. He helped console my wife. This is something that's dear to my heart because I know what these brothers and sisters is going through behind the penitentiary walls. And what I speak is facts, 100% facts, because you know why? I got brothers right now that's sitting behind a wall that's not even guilty behind charges that they put on them. And there was one article I wanted to mention, and just, you know, Brother Maxwell, you can chime in too, Scotty. Um, it, it says history is a weapon, and I thought the title was very intriguing because she speaks about the um, the connections between slavery and prison. And she said that she truly believes, after all the research um, found on specifically the African-American prisoners, that United States is an acronym for underprivileged slaves of America. And that was from Esposito and Wood back in 82. And she strongly believes that because the United States, we we got more over 2 million prisoners. And that's not including jails and, and juvenile system detention centers. So when we have, like, a problem with slavery and how the United States actually uses the punishment industry, is now the leading employer and producer for the United States, both in private, state, security corporations, they bargain to control, to profit pretty much from the um, trafficking, pretty much their human trafficking, because they're dealing with their freedom. And she just made a coalition and a comparison to slavery in prison. And this is what the United States of America is founded on, it's based on. We have the Constitution right there in your face to say, we free everybody else except people that locked up. Now, how fair is that? No dead air, no dead air. Max, you, Max, you, you pretty quiet tonight, yeah. bro. What's I, on no, your no, mind? I was just talking. I had my mute. I just realized I had my mute on when he said no dead air, no dead air. Uh, <laughs> no, I was saying that is very true. This, I say, all this was designed, and they realized that blacks they were not going to be able to have hold them in the cotton fields and all those things anymore. You know, they came up with a new scheme. You know, just like I was watching it with with a brother laid it all out. You know, uh, where he laid it out as far as uh, you know the the whole thing, the whole uh, slavery, this whole thing of mass incarceration. Well, all right, they gave you. You remember when they said that they used to have a literacy law, right? You right. Read and write. And you, you're talking about black codes, huh? Black codes. Yeah, and so. Once the brother said, look, I want to write, 
once he said, I want, I want, I want to vote, they would tell the brother, uh, here, read this, show me that you can read, right? Now, they read that, and once they read that, you know what they did with him? What's they locked that? him right back up. They locked the brother, they, I'm saying that's what they used to do to our people, lock them right back up, because there was a literacy law, you know, that blacks were not entitled to read. And so, like, you know, the system just kept turning over. They just kept trapping us and trapping us more and more into the system to have a, 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 full, a full economy. What I mean by that is, in every aspect, like, you know, the brother was real deep as far as showing the whole scenario of how I want y'all to keep getting locked up. I want y'all to keep killing each other because, my, you know, my, my uncle owns the funeral parlor. My brother's sister's working in the Department of Corrections. You know, my mother's uh, brother is the judge. Uh, my niece's uh, boyfriend is the police. You know, like it's a whole system that was designed for them. You know, this was designed. This just this was well thought out. This wasn't something that just took time over. You know, to come about overnight or nothing. You know, like this was a whole plan and design to oppress our people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a, a good... and the reason that I was disturbed by it, the reason I've been most disturbed by it, is I don't know what gave them that right and that privilege to think that anybody was better than us because look what we have as blacks endured right. for so many years and still standing no other race of people have for so long endured what we have look at our black women you know look how you know they like like I said, all this was designed with Scotty. All this was just designed. They just sit there and they put out this master plan, you know. But my voice is messed up tonight, too. That's why I keep, you know. But you wanted to say something, Brother Scotty. I'm well, sorry for uh, I, I, No, my, my bad. No, what I was wanting yeah. to say, you are exactly right. This didn't come about overnight. But it started with the 13th Amendment. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. Malcolm X once asked the question, did the South really yeah. lose the war? The answer to that is no. No, it yeah. was a draw. It was a draw yeah. because they allowed them to come back into the Union and still keep practicing slavery with the caveat, first you got to convict them mm-hmm. of a crime, then you could put them in prison, then you could lease yeah. them out. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people have heard of convict leasing. Then you can lease them right back out to the plantation, yeah. to the mines, and any other industry that wants yeah. th- this prison labor. The railroads, a lot of the railroads was built by prison slave labor. So this yeah. came came about, in when I say make up the laws, I mentioned the black codes, you know, yeah. during Jim Crow, where you could get locked up for simply five people standing on a public street, five black people standing on the public street talking to each other. Oh, that's loitering. Yeah. That's loitering. We can put you in jail for that. Or for being unemployed. They can put you in jail unless you could prove that you had employment. So, you know, you're right. It didn't come about o- overnight. Now, the reason I think a lot of us, especially people who look like everybody that's on the line tonight, that we don't recognize it as slavery is because like was being mentioned, we got plenty of people who are working in them prisons who make a living off of the system of slavery and they don't even care. You know, they don't even see it as such. So, you know, that's a problem. That's a problem. And, you know, it's it just, it's it just so, it's just so 
other thing, some some of our leaders in different things, you know, uh, Brother Scotty and uh, the audience out there aren't really, some of them are selling out on us, bro. And, you know, like a lot of brothers come out of prison right now and they get in these key positions. They're with these other organizations and they brought on to some of them organizations for various reasons, right? But do you think most of them brothers are really able, you ever seen a painting with a brother reaching his hand over the wall and pulling the brother up instead of beating him down, he's pulling him up over the arm. You ever seen that painting? Yes, I think I have. All right, well, I'm saying a lot of our brothers are also, I'm going to say, being put in, in, in key decision-making positions and things. And you would think once they reach that level, they're supposed to reach over and pull the next brother who's there. They're not doing that. See, the system got them, and again, it has them again, with everyone's focus on mass incarceration. Do you know how much attention is there surrounded around that? Do you see how many people have come on board with this? I mean, do really, how many people have come on board about this issues of mass incarceration in, in, in our country? I mean, it's a lot of people who pay lip service to it. No, but there's also a lot that, what's the name, but they're doing it for the wrong reason. You know, like what I'm saying is, you know, there's brothers that have really put, when you look back, there's brothers that have really put their lives down on the line for what they believe in as far as standing up for our people and standing up for what's right in those things, you know. And like I said, again, a lot, there are a lot of, you know, I don't want, I'm not going to name no names. There's some major groups out there right now mm-hmm. that's in all this shining and, you know, they're in all this shining and different things. And, you know, I'm going to use myself as an example. You know, I'm not saying I'm a very intelligent guy or anything. A lot of them, for some reason, have been scared of me, Brother Scotty. I'm not patting myself on the shoulder or anything. A lot of them have been scared of me. Now, they've seen my record. They've seen the work I put in. They've seen the work I put in. was one of the top groups who went. Professor Griff. Oh, yeah, I know that. I'm not speaking to them. They went behind the prison walls. Yeah. And, and we're speaking about this stuff. Like yeah. you have you have juice. All right. Hey Juice, you still on the line? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Hey Juice, let me ask you a question, brother. You know what I'm saying? Before we get far deep in all this conversation. How hard was it for you in New York just to be able to express yourself through dance? Because you know you was a boogier you was a DJ, and you was around people who did graffiti. How hard was it for you to be able to just express yourself as a man of talent, which came from being able to break dance, to DJ, and having people around you who did graffiti? It wasn't hard how at all. Plus you, how plush was you? Was? It wasn't hard at all. You just did what you did. But you were, were you not oppressed? Was you the, not oppressed by the police? The, 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 the expression, hold on. The expression was in direct response to the oppression. In the 70s when hip-hop was created, it was created in direct retaliation to the, the laws at the time, which was called benign neglect, where the city decided to not provide any services. No police, no fire, no garbage disposal, nothing. So the Bronx was literally burning and was on fire because 
landlords were lighting up their own uh, apartment buildings to get the insurance money. And nobody gave a crap about us. So they didn't care what we did. They thought we were going to die out or move, but we didn't. So it wasn't hard at all. We did what we needed to do to survive, which is kind of what the guys are doing incarcerated right now. And I understand the, 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 the uh, urgency to, to repeal at least a portion of, of the 13th Amendment that states that slavery is illegal except for, uh, you know, you punishment know, for crime. Punishment for crimes, exactly. But I understand. Yeah, but a lot of people don't know that Public Enemy was one of the first organizations when they fought, when y'all, when y'all created Fight the Power, and that when y'all went, started going to side the prison systems to be able to own mentor and guide brothers and sisters. You want to know what's funny? To, to yeah. a better path. A lot of brothers and sisters don't know that. That's on. That's listening yeah, but, right now because but you know more, there's the more, there's more to that. But we get, we get. I think we get a little bit off topic. Uh, there's more to that. But keep in mind, even when we did that record, we were sued by the Isley Brothers because they thought we sampled their record. So again, you talk about unity. You talk about you know black unity. Why was the no, Isley the Brothers? Black community. <laughs> when you went in there, when y'all went we in get, there. We were getting sued by another black, another black group, another black group that we looked up to. We didn't sample anything from their record, but you know, again, you know, all of that stuff is, is just a, it's just a facade for real stuff. You know, you can't. I mean, while, while what we did on records made a difference to people, it's not real activism. I mean, it is, but it isn't. The people that are on the ground, like like the brothers speaking right now, they're out here making a difference, trying to physically do something. Yeah, we make a song and, and, and we and we make people aware of what's going on, but they're actually physically making the change. So, you know, I've always had a problem where somebody was like, you know, you guys are, yeah, yeah, we guys, are, we're just bringing light to what you guys are doing. Yeah, and but you shouldn't underestimate the impact. Malcolm X, you know, which is why I founded the Black Talk Media Project and created the Black Talk Radio Network. He said media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet. It controls the minds of the masses. It can make the innocent look guilty and the guilty look innocent, and that's power. So, you know, I owe it to public enemy for my awakening as a young 20-something a year old who went into the military. It's because of Public Enemy that I read Malcolm X's biography, which then put me on the path to questioning, what are you doing in the U.S. military over here killing these non-white people who ain't done nothing to you while your own people is being oppressed by the very same people that put that gun in your hand? It's because of Public Enemy that I start asking myself these questions. So I hear what you're saying, uh, uh, Brother Johnny, that the people like Khadijah, uh, Maxwell Melvins, Brother Tyson, that's out here on the ground and and working in their local communities and and trying to, you know, put in the real work that's going to lead to real changes, don't devalue what you and your brothers on the mic do. No, I feel you. I'm not devaluing it, but Keep in mind, mm-hmm. our songs were about people like you. So you see how that comes from circle? Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for people like you, there'd be nobody for us to talk about and to educate the next generation of people that say, I want to be like those other people. But we need something to talk about. And that something to talk about is more important than the people making the, the, the people talk. Um, put it this way. Uh, and yes, you're right. The media is incredibly powerful. 
without Bill Cosby doing the Cosby show and a different world, there wouldn't have been an environment for public enemy to thrive. Because they made it cool to be smart black people and not be vilified for being a, a nerd or, or, you know, you're smart, so you're trying to be white. They made it cool to be a smart and educated black man. So when Public Enemy make records, it didn't seem like it was something that was coming out of left field, or even though it was out of left field for rap, it seemed like it fit. If that ecosystem didn't exist, then we would have been just another rap group bugging out. So no, the power of propaganda is what destroyed us. The the with the media understanding what propaganda mean, you know what I'm saying? By being able to print or or label or speak about things in social media is what destroy all black civil rights leaders. You know what I'm saying? You know what? Somebody yeah, gotta make I'm it about cool. that. Make a record and make it cool. And make it cool. Listen, make it cool. Because I, I get your point. Make it cool to fight the power again. You, you know what I'm saying? Cool because, because at the same time, what the white man understood yeah. was proper was was the power of propaganda to destroy all black civil rights leaders. When they when they created the media to be able to destroy our voice, this is what damaged the black community. This is what well, damaged all the civil well, rights leaders who stood up for us. Well, the I'm, problem I'm gonna, with propaganda I'm, is I'm, just true. Look at the media nowadays. The media, the media has the right to destroy an artist or an up, or, or uprise of artists. Well, you know what? Let me explain something real quick, man, because we got to get back to the topic. Now, forget about the media and all that, and I'll tell you why I forget about the media. Because the streets have their own media. You think them cats on the streets that lie about their background so that they can intimidate other people are any different? People, people say that oh. hip hop started because it was it was some kind of revolutionary. Whatever. No, it didn't. It started by right. DJs trying to make money, throwing parties for X amount of money to get people to come and do their thing. So right. yes, it eventually turned into something. But that happens with everything. So hip hop, uh, <clears throat> it, it wasn't. It was just people were trying to make money. That's just the bottom line. And it and then somebody said, hey. You know, there's injustice, and did a song about it, and then it moved that way. But there's always been, it, even it, the cats that started this weren't trying to do that. They were trying to make money, just like everybody else. So, where was the propaganda then? The, the four that. elements of hip hop. The four elements of hip hop was not created by hip hop people because hip hop wasn't called hip hop until the '80s. It was created when Bambada hooked up with some white dudes from the village and said, "How can we sell this to people?" And said, hey, we'll call it a culture. We'll make it about these four elements. That didn't exist before then. Sure, the elements existed in some form or fashion, but they weren't consolidated under this umbrella because they didn't need to. People just did what they did. You think graffiti writers were in the park jamming? They were in the train yards, writing on, graffiti, writing on trains. They weren't part of the, the, this culture. They were doing their thing. So the thing is, that was this hip-hop has been a facade from the beginning. That doesn't mean that there isn't good things that have come out of it. That doesn't mean that it hasn't educated people and hasn't helped people. But keep in mind, it doesn't always start that way. Now, we're talking about the 13th Amendment. Again, fights don't always start and finish the same way. And 
apparently when they created the 13th Amendment, there was very little thought given to the actual penal code that was put in there. Very little. So nobody's touched it. Yeah, there's nobody's been one. It. There was one senator, uh, I want to say from Vermont, or it might have been Massachusetts. But at the time, the 13th Amendment was being debated. Um, he did stand up and speak out against it and said, y'all just, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he basically was saying, y'all just really are going to reinstitute slavery with this amendment. He took exception to the exception clause, but unfortunately he was the lone voice at the time. Yeah, well, I mean, what was the, what was the 13th Amendment created? The 1800s? After after the Civil War, 1865. 1865, okay. So, at the time, I know nobody really gave a crap. Because people, I mean, what, what, what difference would it make? If you're a bunch of rich people that know you're never going to jail, you care about that particularly? Right, you know, but you know what was interesting is that most of the Southern states, they took advantage of the actual wording with the 13th Amendment and turned it to where they benefited from it, obviously. So it's been a pattern and a practice for them to, to use that. So they're taking advantage of that if someone catch on and say, hey, this is not right. This is illegal. Sister so Khadija. We're about to wind up to go a commercial in about two minutes. All right, so let me tell you this. The, the, the reason why the, the Civil War was fought is because they, they, they felt that Freeing the slaves symbolically would, and starting a union would be able to create more revenue. But at the same time, they had a plan to recreate slavery. You, you know you know what, brother uh, Tyson? Listen, everything has always been tricked with, with the black community. Oh, we give y'all freedom. We get out, y'all niggas in the view and the whatever. But at the same time, oh, you can't do crime. Now, now it's re-slavery again. But at the same time, if you really go back, we was never, we was never all free. We was free to a limit. Okay, I didn't mean to cut you off, but we getting ready to take a commercial break, Brother Reed. So you want to take us to a commercial? Yes. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio, since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Say something, um, Brother Tyson. 
Um, the Civil War, the Civil War was not a trick. The Civil War came about because of all the hundreds of, of rebellions of the victims of slavery, because of the abolitionist movement agitating for slavery, because of John Brown and his sons and, and the black people working with him, fighting guerrilla warfare uh, in the different states. I disagree. I disagree, brother, because the reason why I say this, listen, I've read many books, man. And I'm very, I'm very intelligent when it comes to this, this information. And the reason why I say that it was trickery is because that they knew they could accumulate more revenue with starting a union by releasing the slaves. You already had a union. Yeah, no, they, they, they. This is why the union fought the Confederate. Listen. The Civil War, the Civil War started, and this is in Lincoln's letters to. Uh, they didn't want nobody. They didn't want nobody controlling slaves by can, their own. Can, can you let me finish, Brother Tyson? On their own. Listen, they didn't want to control the slaves on their own. Everybody wanted a part of the peace to control it. You know what I'm saying? They didn't want no one slave master. Controlling about 20, 30 slaves. They all wanted to control us. They all wanted a part in controlling all the slaves. Not just one slave, master. This is why he can, you know what I mean? The, the, uh, the union created the union, you know what I'm saying? The Federate fought, and they wanted to abolish slavery. Not because they wanted to release us. It's because we was more revenue by working for each and every one of them. No, you know, I, I just can't I can't roll with that, Brother Tyson, because that means that the prior abolitionist movement, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner True, Harriet Tubman, that they was all part of this scheme hatched no, no, by the... No, 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 well, that, that's what I'm talking about, Brother Tyson. Let, let, let me let let, let me let, let let me let me speak. Let me speak on. Speak. The Civil War was over slavery. Okay, it wasn't. It wasn't for states' rights. It wasn't for anything else but slavery. Abraham Lincoln. When he was elected by the Republican Party to be the nominee and he won election, the Republican Party started as an abolitionist party. We're going to outlaw slavery. Now, Lincoln was, Lincoln was a liar. While publicly he was talking about, right. you know, I'm against. I'm talking about Lincoln. Okay, Lincoln let, let me finish, brother Tyson. I can't, I can't finish if you keep interrupting me, bro. So, listen. Lincoln was telling uh, Judge Stevens, who was also a congressman and his good friend, he wrote him private letters saying that y'all think that we're going to bother you and your slaves and we're not going to do that. We just don't want slavery expanding to the new territories, you know, like Missouri and whatnot, you know, which was the what, which was uh, them taking land you know, from the Native Americans out west. They were trying to stop slavery from spreading to those lands. So 
Anyway, the South didn't believe them that they was going to allow slavery to remain, so they attacked Fort Sumner, which started the Civil War. Okay, nobody freed us. Black people freed themselves. If black people didn't pick up the gun and join the Union, Arm, Union Army, we would be in the Confederate States of America today. I don't give any credit to Lincoln or any white person for our freedom. We fought for our freedom. We pushed for our freedom. We died for our freedom. And we killed people for our freedom. And and yes, if you want to say that we were then tricked, yes, the civil, I mean, excuse me, the 13th Amendment was a trick. And Sister Khadija, you said that they were taking advantage of it. No, they weren't taking advantage of it. They helped write the 13th Amendment. So what sense do it make if I'm in a country, I got some traders that want to, you know, start their own. No disrespect. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to ask you this question. What was the civil rights fought over? The Confederate and all that. The what Civil that? War fought over. It, it was fought over it slavery. In the union. I never said nobody freed the slug. slaves. I'm, I ain't talking about what Harry and Tubman did. I'm talking about the strategy that they created over that war between them two who, who, who they felt was more more an advantage of creating more revenue by not allowing one slave master to to hold slaves by allowing all slave masters to be able to have the power over slaves and to continue to create slavery. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying what you was you saying is wrong, but I never said what you just said I said you know what I'm saying? I'm not going on that. I'm just saying that what they they strategy and by trying to oh printing a document saying that all slaves is released and not can bound not bound by one slave master. See they had a plan. They had a plan. And this is why they fought that war to be able to to have even you said they have a union, right? But they wanted to create a better union when it came to black folks. Yeah, the, the union only referred to the federal government. The, fe the union is the United States of America. That's what the union is. They didn't create anything new. But, but when it came to the black people, slave master controlling those slaves. They wanted to put it in the union and put these people to work. That's all I'm saying. We we can move on. With you. All I'm saying is that it was it was time for them to come to agreement, and they went to war because it was a disagreement. They didn't want no one slave master controlling 20, 20 motherfucking slaves. Let's please watch our language. Us. And this is what they're trying to do today. That's all I'm saying, brother. I don't I don't have anything else. Anybody uh, Hello? Is everybody there? 
Uh, yes, we yes we still here. We still here. Now, um, uh, Brother Max, you were saying something, and you got cut off. Can if you remember what you were saying, you were talking about the prisons. Yes. I'm not sure I was speaking of, you know, I'm not exactly sure what I was speaking about prison, right? But, you know, uh, I want to go on another avenue to, to, to show you something, how the uh, prison system uh, responds, for example. I'm going to give you just any prison of a population of 3,000 prisoners, right? I'm going to show you, as I was telling you before, that when the GEO group and these groups that maintain all these prisoners, right, all these immigrants and everybody's waiting to be deported, right? They have to have and maintain a certain level of people in there. You understand? Whether they know some people will not be deported or not, they have to automatically go out there, round up some people, let them go through the process of the hearings and all these things, knowing that some of them will be released and knowing that some of them, you know, they're not going to be deported. But how the population has to be maintained, that is in their contract, a certain level of beds, will be filled. Right. That, that's even applying to American citizens. Yeah. You're talking to them like... Exactly. Yeah. And I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something. Inside of each prison, uh, uh, you have uh, administrative segregation. That's where if me and you get in a fight or something, right? And uh, they might give me 30 days in solitary. After the solitary, you got to go to administrative segregation, right? Now, they have another section in there, which is called MCU, Management Control Unit. When What we're doing right now, as far as guys, they believe that you are radical and that you are a threat to the overall population of uplifting and encouraging guys. That's what the Management Control Unit for. All right, then you have a protective custody unit inside there. Now, these are all separate areas and separate parts of the prison and population. Now, each unit might have a big uh, capacity of 300 beds, right? So solitary confinement. Coming in from the main unit of, 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 of a reception unit going into a prison, they're going to say, we got uh, 200 guys coming in, right? Now those 200 guys that's coming in, we don't have any beds necessarily open, right? So what the system does sometimes, they're going to create a situation or a lockdown or something. The police going to go around, they're going to start chaos and stuff. Uh, causing problems amongst the, the prisoners or whatever. They'd be telling the guys, this guy's a school prison, this guy's that. You're getting in the fight. Groups doing different things. So you got 50 beds open in a protective custody area, right? Those 50 beds have to be filled. Now, in solitary, say you got 25 beds. Nobody's getting in the fights or anything, right? But those 25 beds have to be filled, all right? You ain't got no guys really on no guerrilla stuff. They go around, they claim, they use the internal affairs unit to say that you are attempting to overthrow the administration and all that. So they maintain, each of them have to maintain a certain quota. Now, this is not fiction. This is facts, what I'm speaking, bro. Right. You know, you know I'm, um, I'm speaking facts. In the article that I was reading about California recently yeah. being called out for long-term solitary confinement again. Yeah. Uh, and this was after they were under a court order to to yeah. take people out. Well, what they did was they started using these gang enhancements. If you got a yeah. tattoo or something like that, or yeah. or they yeah. were even saying if you had Aztec yeah. art, you know, Aztec art yeah. on the wall, which would be, yeah. you know, your Latinos and what have you, yeah. then that means that you in a gang. And they would throw you in a solitary yeah. confinement for having art on your wall. Yeah. Wow. That's, 
they got so many different forms of things in there and maintaining that prison population. And as I said, um, I don't know one day, uh, Brother Scotty, I hope you're able to pay the Life is Group music songs, for example, Lock Us Up, Covers Up, or Prison is the Death of a Poor Man. We've been talking about this uh, since, you know, we've been talking about this since uh, about 89 because we was, you know, we was living it. We identified what was going on in the system when you had this major increase in the overall prison population. Now, we had, like, in 1980, the, the budget for operating prisons throughout the United States was about $8 billion or something, right? Uh, from 1980 to now, that has increased to maybe about $180 billion, if I'm not mistaken. I might be misquoted, but it's about $180 billion. So did you see the increase of the population and then all the laws that was created to have these beds filled, these mandatory minimum sentences and all of them that they was getting out? So when I say by design, all this was done by design. Right, right. And, con- and continues to be done by design to, to, to figure out different things. And the ones that's doing this, they have people that just sit in rooms and just think and come up with all forms of uh, ideas. You're yeah, talking like Alec. You ever heard of yeah. the American, what is it, Alec? American Legislative Exchange Committee. Well, yeah. what, you know, Koch brothers are yeah. big into that. Most of the private yeah. prison uh, companies are exactly. in, in Alec. They sit around. They yep. sit around and they have these guys come up. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if you ever heard of a magazine called Co- Corrections Today. Yes, I have. Well, inside that magazine, you will be surprised of the different companies that advertise in that magazine, whether other prisons are looking for uh, new superintendents to come and take over, different security equipment, uh, the building of a new unit or a new type of uh, material where guys can't set on fire or these companies with fabric, different uh, fireproof beds that they're making, which prisoners make. And like this, the industry within the industry itself, right? And the same companies that's selling to these prisons, the prisoners are making this stuff, and it's going right back around through the cycle. I mean, this is really deep. You know what I'm saying? This is really deep. And you know, like I, I like to also say that it's a whole lot, you know, going on in our communities right now. And I wish that our people would really wake up at some point. You know, I mean. I really think that, you know, the majority of our race is feared for some reason, you know. I, I really do. But what what, what anything, Could you say that again? You I, said that. I think, I think the black people are feared by mostly all other races, and I don't understand why. I think they are really feared and you know. Because of the propaganda, to, Brother Max. Yes. Because the of the propaganda. The ideology of that other we are inferior to other races and all that. No, look at all the things in the creating that blacks have done. They tried to suppress it. They just took it. Like where they are right now, as you know, they didn't get there by earning what they did. They got there by taking it from us. Taking it. when I say us, I'm talking about our ancestors, the ones that come way, way, way before us. Mm-hmm. Back on the backs of them and everything. And, you know, like we run around in these streets, these guys and they're fighting against each other, talking about this is my block, this is my corner, right? Some dumb stuff, you know? And they're killing guys over blocks and different things. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or drug trade, or something as simple as that. And again, 
look at the same thing that all our brothers are walking around with these million dollar homes on their arm or watch or whatever. The same people that oppress you are the same people, the bears and all of them over in Africa and all these different places controlling them colon mines when they was killing millions and millions over there. And you, you prophesize and walking around with all this gold giving right back into it and they're killing your people over there for the very same thing that you got around your neck right which in the, it symbolizes to them it's a noose we still hanging it right you right know, some, all them gold chains i mean there's their money they can do what they want to do but i'm just saying it's deeper than what most of us know and what most people know it is it, it, much deeper than that and until hold on, excuse me until our people wake up i don't know if that's ever going to happen this all this cycle is going to continue. The revolving door. That's going to continue. You know, all this is going to continue and continue and continue until they really wake up and say enough is enough. And see, this takes us back to what I was, you know, talking to Brother Johnny about the importance of of what public enemy and other artists you know, like them with a message okay. that's put that's peeping yeah. us to the game and what's going on is because yeah. today when you listen, I work with a group called Clear the Airways Project. Shout out to Brother Kwabana Rasuli. What they do is confront these radio stations in the community. They play that. They play that. What you know? I'm an old head, so I'm gonna just call it gangster yeah. rap. Um, they got yeah. Yeah. new names for the stuff now, yeah. but. I mean, it's promoting all of the stuff that's leading our people either to the grave or into yeah. prison slavery. That's the power yeah. of the media. And that's why yeah. it is very important that we have artists, you know, like yeah. the Lifers group, uh, like yeah. Brother Johnny, who's putting out real messages, yeah. you know, to our people to peep them to what's going on, man. So, you know. And I knew the power of music back then. I knew the power of music as far having an influence on our kids and kids listening, I, I recognized that back in 1980, how powerful music was. And these kids, people tell me you can't hold them responsible. I couldn't say we could hold them responsible, but morally they were responsible. But how could they really know when most of themselves in their mind were corrupted and everything? So I understood why they was putting out the music. Some of the music was just to identify what they were experiencing going through in their own community. Some of us was rebellious against how they felt against the system that they felt that they was mistreated about. Mm-hmm. Right. You had different. Some of the uh, yeah, you had uh, like some of the artists were speaking of uh, many different things. It wasn't so much gangster; they just took on an attitude. Right. They were being rebellious in a way against the system. Right. Not even knowing, just the anger, the bitterness, and then it. Y'all have to excuse me, I told him not well, but it, it went, you know, it just went off to something totally different. And conscious music back in the day, that's all that was coming out. That's all that was coming out mostly. Yeah, yeah you had the gangster rap was coming out. It was starting to dominate it, but before that, all this conscious music really had people walking around. If you look about, look around, and look back at some of the videos, how they, the richness of their blackness and everything, and right. the naturalness of their hair, and the uh, Afrocentric clothing and everything. Right. But they greedy, they should have had to pay attention to KRS1. Yeah, their greetings and everything to each other, how they used to greet up this and stuff. Now everybody look at everybody, they shooting them a prison. You mm. know? 
uh, with the with the fu looking at you know or something you know but you know it's everything is just so much change man and I just wish that you know we would ride on. we would ride I got hiccups and everything so that's why I'm like pausing but it was just like it's just you know until we wake up brother I said I but you know what that's ever gonna happen everybody has brother. to learn. Everybody has to learn to wake up individually, and I, and I mean yeah, that's true. True, true. My man, my no, man absolutely. mentioned KRS One. What was KRS One's first album cover like? Mm, I don't remember. Criminal Minded, yeah. called Criminal Minded, and him yeah. and Scott LaRock were on the cover, literally yeah. with guns and grenades. Mm-hmm. It took, unfortunately, Scott LaRock's untimely death for KRS One yeah. to say, "Yo, I can't do." Yeah, his right. whole first album, a classic album yeah. with songs yeah. like "The P Is Free" and yeah. and "Criminal Minded" and yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, all the songs on that album yeah. were, were like highly ignorant, violent, and and, and these yeah. songs on Scott LaRock is a super hoe. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Those were the songs that were on that album, yeah. and exactly. and then we know him as the teacher now. Yeah. But what happens if Scott and Rock never got shot? What would it take longer for Karis one to wake up? Uh, I hear what you're saying, brother Johnny. I yeah. I, I, I hear what you're is, saying. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, Karis one walks around and t- and he and he vilifies a lot of these young dudes, and rightfully so because yeah. it's not a, there's not a good enough balance in our society, music especially. Yeah. But yeah. at some point, somebody has to say, "Hey, Chris, remember what you did? One of his yeah. biggest." proudest achievements is when he goes on stage and literally throws PM Dawn off the stage. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. And he says, this is real hip-hop. Yeah, but didn't you do a song called Stop the Violence? Didn't you do self-destruction? But your most proudest moment is throwing another dude off the stage? Wow. So, So, the thing is, our, our mentors, our people that we sit here, they're full of dichotomies. They're full of contradictions, and we tend to eh, gloss over it because they've done so much good here. But what we can't lose sight of is they have to learn, too. So you have to be a little tolerant and and kind of let people grow that way, too, you know. And these young kids, we're not letting them grow. As soon as they make their first mistake, we slam them. Yo, that's that's garbage. That's trash. You don't know anything. yeah. Now they're really not going to listen. Yeah. So we have to. There has to be some kind of leeway. Now, of course, you know that comes within reason. I mean, look at Takashi sixty nine. I mean, the guy's in jail, and now he's snitching to, to you know he's working with the feds. But but at the same time, the dude was going back to his hometown in Mexico and and, and building things and giving stuff to his people. But at what cost? You did all that good stuff for your people, but your music was destroying other people. So, you know, there has to be more of a constructive dialogue. That's the problem. The problem is we can't just keep pointing fingers saying, you guys, you guys, you know, y'all guys need to yeah. pick up. But li- listen, guys, we we come to the end of the broadcast. Let me say something real quick about that, though. Ahead, brother. Um, ahead, brother Kwabana of Clear the Airways Project, and there's other groups, Rage Against the Ratchet. Now, they will call out an individual artist, but they put the onus on the radio station. And not just the radio station, 
but they yeah. put the onus on the advertisers on the radio station. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, let's shoot this brother in the face brought to you by McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so you know, I feel like yeah. that we're dealing with an industry that wants to promote this mindless message of self-destruction to our people. So I hear what I hear what you're saying, brother Johnny. Um, but a lot of these young cats don't know that they're being given a deal because they fit into the larger plan of, of the industry to make more prison slaves or to put our people in, in the grave. So, so I feel you. We do have to give young people, you know, room to grow. Um, because I certainly was a young man at one time, not doing everything right and, and doing a lot of things wrong. But, you know, so I, I hear you, brother Johnny, but my, my, my beef is mainly with the industry. That's who my beef yeah, is. Yeah, but you know what? The industry is mainly us. There's only a few of those dudes that control all of us. If right. we as a mass change what we do, right. they have to change what they sell. You're right. That's what there is here. That's what's left. We have to create an environment that's conducive to that. And they don't have a choice but to sell this stuff because this is the stuff this is what's there. Right. You know? You so, can't keep giving them what they want. We have to give them what we want. So let, let me just real quick, um, we don't have, um, for our Black Talk Radio Network listeners, Mind, Body, and Spirit will not be on air tonight. They normally come on at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Both the ladies are sick. I guess they got each other sick since they live in the same household, but they, they won't be on tonight. But I'm, what I want to do is hit our last two segments real quick. We want to do a, a profile in the past abolitionists because they inspire us, you know, against this fight. We're fighting the same fight they was fighting against. And then we also want to highlight, um, you know, we want to welcome a person of freedom who has been exonerated. And after I go through these two uh, segments, we'll go around the table and let everybody give their last thoughts. Okay? So our profile in abolitionism tonight is Alado Equano. He was born in 1745 in present-day Nigeria. He was kidnapped from his village as an adolescent and sold into slavery. He endured the horrors of the Middle Passage aboard a slave ship and later passed between several masters, including a British Royal Navy officer who used him as a servant during voyages between Europe and North America. After purchasing his freedom in 1766, Equino moved to England and became active in the abolitionist movement. He penned editorials in newspapers, helped organize a group of black Londoners known as the Sons of Africa, and petitioned the British Crown to take action against slavery. Equino's biggest contribution to abolitionists came in 1789 when he published the interesting narrative of the life of Olato Equino, an autobiography now considered one of the first slave narratives. The book was a bestseller, and he spent the next several years touring the British Isles and using his life story to illustrate the evils of slavery. Equino died in 1797, a decade before Britain finally abolished the slave trade, but his interesting narrative later became an influential text among American abolitionists. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes Aladu Equino. Right here. Can you see here? Mm -hmm. 
All right. So our our um, profile in freedom. I'm going to play this clip. His name is Hugh Burton, and he was released this year. So take a listen to this clip. Hello. Hugh Burton went before the judge. He was officially a convicted murderer. Hugh Am I still connected to you? Oh, hear me. Yes, Max, we playing a clip. Hold on, oh. please. Burton's attorney shed tears as she spoke of the crime of which he'd been convicted. In his family's Northeast Bronx row house in January 1989, the then 16-year-old found his mother brutally stabbed and their car stolen. Police coerced a confession from Burton. But when the real killer, the family's tenant, was found days later driving the stolen car and with information only the killer would know, investigators still pursued Burton. He was convicted and served 19 years. The injustice was condemned by legendary attorney Barry Sheck, who also got emotional. The bloodline that Hugh Burton killed his mother is dead forever. That's because a two-year investigation by the DA's office found Burton innocent. I vacate the conviction. Burton wiped tears after it became official. After hugs and happiness outside of the courtroom, Burton explained... When my mother was murdered, the investigation was 48 hours. Had they taken a longer look, a more analytical look, um, they may have not rushed to judgment. And now Burton says he'll continue to help other innocent convicts. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't stop. Um, continue to fight. And the man who investigators say actually committed the murder, Emmanuel Green, was killed himself before Hugh Burton's initial trial. Even though Burton's father died before he was able to prove his innocence, he said he always kept hope and said that his father and his mother were with him in spirit today. All right, and New Abolitionist Radio wants to welcome Hugh Burton to freedom. Unfortunately, we hear this story repeated all too often, and that's why we've made it a segment. Just to show you that just because a person's been convicted of something doesn't mean they're guilty. And and too many people have been railroaded by this system. So at this time, we want to uh, go around the panel and give everybody an opportunity to leave the listeners with a last word. Um we're going to go. We're going to go first to our guest, uh, Johnny. Thank you for j- joining us um, tonight. Did you have any final thoughts you want to leave with the listeners? Um, uh, my final thoughts are actually uh, directed at, at you guys, man. Uh, you know, you're doing a great job. I, I applaud your efforts and your and your zeal and your and your zest and your uh, your fire and your passion for this. We need more people like you. Um, and people like you are the reason why people like me make songs about people like you. So keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's a it's a it's a good fight. It's the right fight. It's a uh, and it is sorely needed. And any kind of help that that uh, I could assist with at any point of time with you guys, uh, please feel free to reach out to me at any time. Well, thank thank you for that. Thank you. Um, and hopefully you'll be back on air with us at a future date. Brother Max, what's going on, yeah. Brother Max? Any final just, thoughts? Yeah, how y'all doing, my brother? Yeah, I'd just like to, you know, thank y'all, you know, being a part of this. 
And I'm just hoping that we can start getting some some of the more of the listeners to participate in more in this and start calling in, you know. Start calling in, you know, to talk. You know, we're here for them, you know what I'm saying? So we can get, like, these open forums going on there, you know, to, you know, spread the message and everything. And I like to think that Black Talk Radio and uh, the abolitionists for being that platform and being that bridge, you know, for us, you know, I, I like to thank y'all very much, and you, Brother Scotty, and uh, Prison Street Talk Ministries, and Mother Khadijah, for just, you know, wow, I'm sorry, man. y'all gotta excuse me, for Dad's Underground, i like to thank all of y'all for being a part of this, and uh, I look forward to our next show, hopefully we will have some guests, I have someone in mind, uh, I will reach out to you, Brother Scotty. All right, all right. Uh, and uh, it, it'll probably be a, 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 I'll reach out uh, from education, from incarceration to education is, is, is the title and I'll send you that person's bio and, and let you uh, look at that and uh, I think they'd be a very important person to have on this show looking in, looking forward to it brother Max and definitely appreciate you know your efforts and the work you put in uh let's let's go to brother Tyson brother Tyson you got any final thoughts for the listeners tonight yes sir man um, and I like to um, tell Johnny Juice I love him and brother Maxwell love you too man and brothers in the community who is actually being the voice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's important to be yeah. a voice for the brothers and sisters who cannot be a voice. I like to thank Pop Radio and Emo, the Connected, Kevin, the Dictum. You know what I'm saying? Free my brother, Killer E. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are issues that I have learned to be able to address because I've been through the situation. Sometimes people who have never been to a situation, they can't address these issues, but this is my passion, man. This is my heart. This is where my heart lies. Being able to be able to address issues that be able to motherfucking address the concerns of my brothers and sisters, man. And it's, it's just so passionate with me, man. This this stuff that that wear in my heart, and I know it wear in your heart, Max, because you've yeah. been there. Yeah. You've been Absolutely. looking for somebody to fight for you. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, so I'm, you know, I'm fighting for my here. brothers, man. I just want all the listeners to know that whether you're incarcerated or unincarcerated, man, I love y'all, man, in peace. And, yes, yes. Street Talk Ministry, Jazz Underground. You know what I mean? Yeah. Twelve Melvin. You know. Mother Khadijah, you there? Yeah, I'm here. My brother is a little horn. But I just want to thank all the listeners for, for tuning in to Black Talk, Black Talk Radio, the new abolitionist radio through Prison Street Talk Ministries. Brother Scotty Reed, we once again thank you for allowing us to have a platform to be not just a voice to the community, but to provide resources, which is where we fall short in the community is sharing resources. So being able to help those sincerely get on their feet and 
and and let them mm-hmm. somewhat feel normal in society. Mm-hmm. And they abolish the Thirteenth Amendment to of this legalized slavery. We have to end this. The government has made sure that they can legalize it. We have to make sure to end it and, and, and amend that amendment. So I want to thank everyone. Johnny Jews, love you. You're my big bro. You know, you really are really a true advocate. Maxwell Melvin, you already know I love you too. And everyone like listening and, and really wants to support the movement, it's time for action. We have to... We, we, there's too much talking going on. It's exactly, exactly. Well, we're going to make it happen. You know what I'm saying? Right. We're going to make it happen. You know? uh, we're going to make it happen. It takes time. We're going to make it happen because our hearts are with it. And our hearts are with it. And when your heart is in something, man, we're going to come through. You know, we'll come through. You know? And my final thoughts for, for tonight as we close out this broadcast is, you know, there's room for everyone in this movement, in this abolitionist movement to end 21st century slavery and human trafficking. I'm not talking about no mass incarceration. I'm not talking about any symptoms or, or, or any of that. You know, police violence and all of that. You know, those things need to be addressed, but those are symptoms of the main problem, the main disease. And that disease is slavery. This country was founded on slavery. It's a, it's a, a key pillar, economic pillar in this country, and they don't want to give it up. They don't want to give it up. And so like Malcolm X said, by any means necessary, you find out what you're good at, what you're best at, what you have resources, your connections, do whatever you can do to bring about an end to slavery and freeing the victims of slavery. And that's all I have to say. By any means necessary, we will get this done. Peace and blessings to all. Until next week, we're out. Land of the free, it lies the home of the homeless. Too many die every day, and we really just want this freedom.